Hey, so I'm back, albeit for maybe a one-time concert only. (laughs) It was really important for me to have this conversation with my guest today, though. I've interviewed him as part of the second book I'm writing, Parents with a Pandemic, but it also just made so much sense to turn our conversation into a podcast because it is about black maternal mortality. So some of you may remember the story of Amber Rose Isaac last year, a beautiful soul who died this really, really unnecessary death. Um, Amber had HELP syndrome, which results in a few things, but low platelet counts, and it's usually very, very treatable, except that Amber was continually ignored. She knew her body, she knew she didn't feel right, and yet she kept being dismissed and ignored. And it wasn't until she decided she'd switch from the hospital system to a midwife and home birth model that they discovered just how high risk she was. And, you know, doctors were signing off on her blood work all this time. And yet by the time she went to be induced, her blood, as her partner said, was just like water, like it was just gushing. So her induction resulted in an emergency C-section and instead of being with her partner and her mum, she bled out in a hospital room alone. She didn't even get to meet her baby boy and I just don't believe this would have happened if she were white. So in my first book, More Than a Healthy Baby, I talk about how in the Bronx, In New York City, black women are 12 times more likely to die than white women. Not just statistics. I don't want us to forget about these women and say, oh, well, that's sad. I want things to change. This is 2021. It's not 1821. And ever since I first heard of Amber's story, and she's not alone, There are many, many, many other stories like this. But Amber's story uh, has haunted me. And maybe partly that's because, like me, she had a psychology degree. She was getting her master's. She was looking forward to studying being finished. Maybe it's because my parents are Glaswegian and Amber's partner, Bruce McIntyre, has like one of the most Scottish-sounding names you can have. Or maybe it's partly just because I know a little bit of what it's like to lie on a hospital bed, terrified, losing litres and litres and litres of blood and thinking, yeah, this is it. Um, I don't know if I'm going to make it. So three days before Amber died, she tweeted about how she wanted to write this tell-all book about her negligence. And she never got to. And her partner, Bruce, has channeled his grief into activism. It's amazing how he has managed to just keep going, really. And it was such an honour to be able to speak with him. This episode is a bit longer than most episodes, but, you know, how do you put a time limit on someone telling you their story? So it is a beautiful love story. It's got its tragic bits. but. Partly, you know, we wanted this to be a beautiful celebration of Amber's life and to leave a legacy for her. So as you listen to Bruce and Amber's story, I ask that you channel your sadness and your anger 
into action. Do something with it. Go to Sabre Rose. They've got a new foundation. I have some links in the notes. And, like, you know, this needs to change. 12 to 1 is a completely unacceptable statistic to me. And I know that for many of you it is too. So let's do something. So just to let you know, the audio for the first few minutes of this episode, there's some background noises, some kids and whatever. We can deal with that. We're all dealing with that. Um, Bruce was at a ribbon cutting ceremony and he managed to squeeze me in. So we can forgive that. Um, You can also watch the full interview or just snippets of the interview if you want um, on my YouTube channel. It's nice to connect faces to voices, I think. So I'll have the link and you can also just search for Dr. Erin Bow and my channel will come up and it'll be there. Hello. Hello. Hey. How you doing? How are you? I'm okay. How are you? You seem busy. Oh, yes, a bit. Um, we actually had the uh, the grand opening, the um, the ribbon cutting to one of our holistic stores. I just heard. How'd it go? Oh, it went good. It went good. Um, the midwife who was actually going to be our midwife, um, she was cutting the ribbon, so it was, it was a beautiful moment. Oh. Um, we had, you know, they had the news outlets out here and a, great, a bunch of great supporters. Oh, I'm glad I've got you on a high then. <laughs> so, do you want to ask me anything? Do you have any questions? What can I do to make this as comfortable as possible for you? Um, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty comfortable actually. I'm, I'm used to this. I feel like I do these almost every day now. Yeah. Um, and uh. The only questions I really have is what got you into maternal health and um, and, and what's your interest and your standpoint on it. So it's a bit of a roundabout story. I always was kind of interested in birth and babies and that kind of thing, but not really until I had my own. And I think partly what touched me so much about Amber's story is because I know a little of what it's like to lie on a table and bleed and bleed and bleed and think, yeah, this is it, and look at my husband and go, I think this is it. And yet I look at the care that I got worlds apart, you know. So I know it's not the same thing. It's not at all the same thing. But I think maybe also because, you know, she did this psych degree, she was doing a master's, I'm like, oh, God, love. It takes so long to finish school. Like, it just takes <laughs> Like, it takes so long, right? And I can just feel that she must have been like, I'm so close, I'm so close, I'm so close. So, yeah, that just really touched my heart. So, yeah, I've had two births that really could have gone a very different way. Um, my second birth, I had a massive baby. So she was 11 pounds three and she got stuck and that could have ended up dangerous. But again, you know, white, (laughs) I knew my rights. I felt pretty comfortable saying to people, this is the way we're going to birth. This is the way I'm going to do things. And it's just so different, right? And it shouldn't be. So yeah, it's haunted me 
Um, it might also be because you've got like one of the most Scottish names. <laughs> and my family's Scottish. So I don't know. There's just all these little threads of like things you're like, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It's just like, I can't just like let this person be, you know, another statistics. Like it's, that's what's important to me that people don't go, oh, that's a bit sad and then not do anything. So, you know, it's that thing of, I don't know that there's a whole lot I can do, but it, like, I feel quite comfortable throwing around opinions and having a bit of like, well, I got doctor in front of my name. I'm white. I can say things that maybe other people are not comfortable to say. I'll give it a try, hey? Yeah, so. But definitely, um, and, and yeah, I've, I've truly appreciated because she, um, you know, doubling back to, to Amber, um, you know, she really was working hard for, for her career and, and, and what she wanted to do in life. And um, she really was wrapping her whole career around um, helping children and underprivileged families. And she was so close to doing so. Um, you know, she earned her psychology, her bachelor's in psychology in 2018. Um, and while she was pregnant, she was, um, you know, reading all these prenatal books. Um, I'm sorry, the kids are saying. This is our life now, kids. <laughs> yeah, I can hear you okay. Well, it is. Just go with it, mate. Um, but, um, you know, she was so close to receiving her master's and she's reading all these prenatal books and learning about all of these changes in her body and um while she's trying to earn her master's you know which is like and, just um, it's nuts like uh, it's so hard anyway on top of all the other things that's amazing it is and she was just a strong and, and amazing woman um so of course i feel like the best way to honor her is to continue fighting and combating against this and uh, you know making sure that we're creating um, a different outlet for families um, going forward and, and we're changing the, um, the direction of where birthing equity needs to be as well. Mm. Um, but, um, but first and foremost, I'm glad that you're still here and, and that you um, are here and that you're here to spend the time with your children because they do need you. Mm. Um, so grateful to have you as well. Thank you. I don't think about it too much. It's, um, well, I do. It's I mean, I in the sense that I think, you know, this, I think, ugh, like, this is not 1821, like, you know, and that's, I'm mm. sure this is something ugh, you and your foundation have possibly come up, maybe not directly at you, although I'll ask you about that too. This thing that people like to say sometimes where they're like, well, it's so much better than the dark ages and we have all this amazing health care. Oh. You're like, yeah. Oh, it hasn't changed. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't changed. It's been this way since the 1800s. It hasn't, mm. it hasn't changed. Mm. So it's, it's, I think that's important for people to sit with because, I, I mean, I get those messages every now and then. I can't imagine what you guys get, but the... You know, I think it's the when people are confronted with something that they find so hard to believe, mm. it's easier to get combative and defensive and say, well, it can't be, than actually look and go, well, no, it is. Like that, those numbers don't lie. 12 times more likely than a white woman to die, right? Like that's, it's not 1821. It's 
just insane. Absolutely insane. And and where, where people get confused is they think, well, oh, well, this is happening because of COVID. And you got to think, well, these numbers have been there before COVID. Yeah. Um, and COVID has now exacerbated those um, those statistics. So, you know, that's something that people really need to, uh, to, to pay attention and keep in, uh, keep in mind. Um, you know, I was actually, it's funny because I was just having the same conversation yesterday with someone, um, you know, that this is a problem, that this is an issue, that this is here. Um, I try not to read comments after, um, you know, meetings or interviews that I have done. Like, I try not to read too many comments. Um, and, yeah, and somebody was, uh, I had seen Vice drop our interview post. They reposted it. And um, I didn't even mean to, to, to look at a comment. I was just scrolling and seeing a comment. And a young woman, a young mixed woman, um, was saying, well, you know, I didn't receive that kind of care. Um, they never stopped me from getting medicine when I needed medicine. And I'm just like, well, ask the, you know, um, the 600 to 800 women every year that are developing birth, um, you know, birthing, birthing complications. Um, you know, speak to those women. <laughs> You know, um, because just because it's not happening to you doesn't mean it's happening. It's not happening to someone else. Um, but yeah, our, you know, women really need to be heard. And, and going back to the 1800s, there is this, you know, stigma um, and, and this practice of medicine there that are, you know, that's made to believe that black women or black and brown bodies are able to um, sustain pain or able to handle pain um, better than anyone else because it's, it, it was made to believe that we have thicker skin. Um, we may have thicker skin um, theoretically, but not, but not, um, not physically. Um, and, you know, I feel like that's a stigma that needs to be changed. And, and that's something that has been embedded in the system. Um, you know, I've actually been speaking to several colleges, including, you know, Harvard's New York School of Medicine, Columbia, um, you know, and, and speak, speaking to them on the systemic issues that have been set in place. Um, and, and, you know, and they always like to bring up um, funding. Oh, we don't have the funds for this. We don't have the funds for this. Um, but it's not, it's not some, it's not some new machine that you need, you know, um, standard care just needs to be implemented for each and every patient, no matter their creed or color. Mm -hmm. And that's something that people aren't really understanding. So mm. that's what we're here to do. We're here to shed light on that and, you know, um, combat against those systemic flaws and dismantle them. Yeah. So if we backtrack a bit to, well, even let's go, let's go back to the beginning. How did you love birds, mate? Um, well, Amber and I actually met in about 2000. That's foggy. So it's, it's about 2007. <laughs> yeah. Um, we met around 2007 and we were just friends. We had mutual friends. Um, we lived in the same neighborhood. Um, and, you know, I was actually in between um, New York City and North Carolina a lot. Like every year or so, I would move back and forth. So Amber and I always just kept in communication as friends. Um, you know, she would be there when I needed advice and vice versa. I would be there when, when she needed someone. Um, and I believe six or seven years ago, 
I try to um, take it a, a step further and try to, you know, um, try to, uh, you know, make something out of, out of it. And she shut me down <laughs> um, because that, that just wasn't a move that she was ready for. You know, she was very goal driven. Um, so she was focused on her career and focused on school and focused on college and, um, and what she wants to do after college. So she was, she was very focused. Um, and of course, if, if she was the, if she was to get with someone or be with someone, it would have to be serious, of course. Um, so we, you know, we, re we remained friends throughout the years, um, still kept in touch. And uh, in 2017, while she was still in college, um, we just started talking more and more and more. And um, it just turned into something beautiful um, to, to where we started talking every night and we're texting nonstop. Um, and uh, I was actually heading back up to New York for my birthday weekend in May of 2018. Um, and she had actually invited me to her graduation because she was graduating um, and getting her, her, uh, her bachelor's in psychology. Um, so she invited me out to her graduation. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get to make it because I was still on the road. Um, and she, you know, she was actually graduating on my birthday. Um, but we connected that weekend and uh, we were inseparable since, since then. I actually ended up moving back to New York um, a month after that um, and you know as soon as I moved back to New York Amber and I were already looking for places um, you know to, to live and move in and um, we were just very serious about each other and, and our connection was very strong um, and not only could we sense it but everyone around us could sense that um, and you know what we had was, was very true um, and I learned a lot about myself through Amber. Um, she was honestly my, my twin flame. And, um, you know, there were things that I was struggling with, such as depression and anxiety. Um, and, you know, after, I, I couldn't even, after speaking to therapists and friends, I didn't get that satisfaction that I needed. Like, I didn't feel like I was releasing. Um, and Amber really showed me how to release and how to love myself. And, um, she was a strong advocate for self-care and self-love. Um, you know, so she was really trying to help me and push me to be inspired again because she knew who I was deep down. Um, she knew my capabilities and um, she didn't want to see me waste my life away. Um, you know, so she, if I was just, if I came home from work and I was just wanting to relax and watch a bit of TV, no, turn the TV off, read a book, um, go, go write, um, you know, be productive. Um, that's just, that's just the person that she was. And um, truly, she was truly an inspiring person. And um, she helped me find my, my light in my life and my, my purpose again. Um, and it's just really unfortunate because I was so happy to, to come home to Amber and um, come home to cook food or come home and hold her and hug her and, um, and all of that's been stripped away from me for no good reason at all. So, 
Mm. And so starting your family, what were you most looking forward to? Other than holding this beautiful baby. That's really what it was. Um, raising Elias together. Um, because we, we already felt like Elias was going to be a special baby. And um, it's not something, Elias wasn't something that just came about. It didn't just happen. Uh, he was someone that we planned for. Um, you know, Amber and I, um, Amber's father actually passed away last year as well. Mm. And um, before he passed away, while he was on his deathbed, he was talking about, talking to me and Amber about how well we are with each other and how well we fit together. Um, and that we shouldn't wait on having a baby. Um, but yeah, like we shouldn't, we shouldn't wait on having a baby. And um, I feel like that was really the, the, the seed that got planted into Amber's head with, with the family um, because she was very close to her dad and she was very sad after her dad passed away and, and he wanted a grandson and, um, you know, he, want, he wanted a grandson from us and um, she was sad that we didn't, we didn't get to give him that. And uh, we ended up rekindling one of our dates, um, which is, uh, we would go to Smoresburg, which is a, um, a, a venue um, where they sell like uh, a bunch of vegan foods, vegan desserts, um, and it's in the Prospect Park in Brooklyn, and um, you can walk to the Prospect Zoo in Brooklyn as well from there. So we would eat at Smoresburg, go to the zoo, um, spend time at the zoo, connect with each other. Um, one day when we were walking back, actually, we ran we ran across a bookstore. Um, Amber uh, wanted to stop in the bookstore. She wanted to get a new um, a new herbal book because she was into holistics and um, she wanted to get a, a new herbal book and, and learn some new recipes and. Um, she came across this baby book and it's a, it's like a hip hop baby book with like baby Kendrick Lamar, baby Biggie, baby Tupac. Um, and she just had this glow in her face and she, she picks up the book and she opens it and every page that she puts her, her smile is so radiant and, mm. you know, her, her smile just gets bigger and bigger and bigger each page and, um, and her cheeks just get so rosy and she looks at me and, and she says, um, it's about that time. <laughs> I'm like, about that time, about that time for what? She's like, it's about that time, time. We, we start a family. <laughs> Baby time. Yeah. Um, and I actually have, uh, I actually have children down south as well um so it was a bit you know i was kind of nervous about it um at first and you know so i told him well, well, well we need to have a conversation first um you know we actually get home later on that day and um i had already known that amber was the one for me you know um i know that i wanted to spend the rest of my life with her um but you know having a baby is something serious you know and um i wanted to make sure that we were both on the same page at all times and um and that we were going to be around to, to raise our child together 
um, and, and build together. And uh, we just had a clear understanding of, of everything. And, um, you know, we, we had a, a strong foundation and, and, a, and a true support system for one another, um, which, which helped us be successful in a lot of things. And, you know, in that time of our lives, um, we were actually both doing good and, you know, she's about to get her master's. Um, I just ended up um, getting this job on Wall Street as a uh, financial loan advisor. Um, so, you know, we're, we're doing good. And we figure out, okay, let's, let's plan everything out and let's have this baby because um, she deserves it. I deserve it. And um, Amber really wanted to give me the family that, you know, I couldn't have or didn't have growing up. Um, and, you know, that's something that we, we both wanted for each other. Um, so on, on August 27th, she, um, um, she ends up running to the room. Um, holding two pregnancy tests and she she jumps on the bed and she she's screaming she's pregnant um and we're just so excited and, and we're crying and we're hugging each other um and literally like after like five minutes after she's telling me she's pregnant she's already jumping on amazon and buying a whole bunch of baby stuff um a whole bunch of gender mutual stuff <laughs> um and, you know, she was just so excited. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that was another reason to why, to what drew me to Amber was how motherly she was as well. Um, you know, because having the absence of a mother in my life, really, um, at, or at least at a young age, um, you know, I was missing that. So I really felt that from Amber, um, how motherly she was to, to myself and how motherly she was to her friends. Um, family members and um, she was ready she was going to be an amazing mother and I'm at, I'm at least glad I got to witness um, you know the eight months of her being pregnant um, and her and her mothering and parenting um, you know because Amber was actually one of the most healthiest people I've ever met in my life mm. She was a pescatarian up until she became um, pregnant, and then she held a, a strict vegan diet. And um, you know, as she's learning about her body, you know, I'm learning with her, and I'm learning about the nutrients and the vitamins that she's, you know, receiving and, and giving to the baby, and um, how we're going to raise a healthy baby. Um, just an amazing, amazing woman, um, and I, I really wish that she at least got to, to hold Elias in her arms um, because she would have been so happy to, to see him and, um, and who he is now. You know, I feel like he has, at a, at a, at a young age, he's um, going on nine months on the 20th. Um, he just has so much personality. <laughs> um, and, and he is such a reflection of, of myself and Amber. Um, and Elias, my son, has that same radiant smile, that Aww. same warm smile as his mom. Um, and that, you know, that kills me sometimes, but it also brings me back down to earth. And um, 
you know, I'm, I'm just glad that, you know, he, he gets so much from his mother and, um, you know, all of the traits. And, and even though she's gone, um, it's still a, it's still a perfect opportunity for me to co-parent because I know how she wanted to raise Elias and, um, you know, and, and what I need to be doing. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm honored that I got to be a part of her life. Mm, I imagine she's in your head a lot. Do it this way. Don't do it that way. Are you sure you want to do it like old mums are? <laughs> mm-hmm. like, yes, um... I, can, I can hear her now about all the stuff that I shouldn't be doing and what I should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um... I, feel like, I feel like it hasn't, I feel like that part hasn't changed. No. <laughs> oh, dear. So January roundabout, do you remember either of you, like what your first memories of COVID was, hearing about it when you thought, oh, this is serious? What are your memories around that? We, um, when COVID first started, well, first I, um, I actually was finding out about COVID and stuff before it really started hitting the news. Um, because working on Wall Street, you tend to hear a lot of stuff first um, because it affects the stock market. Yeah. And, you know, the stock market ended up crashing three times in a span of two weeks. First time this has ever happened in history. Um, crashed and crashed three times in a span of less than two weeks. And, um, you know, I'm speaking to my bosses and, you know, they're telling me about how bad this is coming up. And so, you know, I'm warning Amber um, because we already have, you know, money tied into, you know, venues and stuff for the baby shower, um, which, you know, I also was actually supposed to propose to her at our baby shower. Um, never got the chance to. And, um, you know, and I'm trying to tell her to, you know, get everything prepared with school, get everything prepared with, with work. Um, you know, we need to get your, your job security, your FMLA um, everything that we need um, because we're going to take a hit and there's no telling which way this is going to go. And, um, you know, as we're getting prepared for this, we're, you know, COVID is now starting to be introduced. And um, of course, we're taking all of the necessary safety precautions. You know, we're being, we're doing exactly what we're, we're told to do um, so we can stay safe. And so we can protect our baby. That was our main concern was yeah. protecting Elias and making sure that he's not infected and he's not getting sick, Amber's not getting sick, um, and that and that we remain healthy. And um, you know, Amber was actually trying to get her FMLA forms, her job security, um, set up um, for HR at her job. She was actually a um, an early childhood um, educator. She was the main teacher. And, um, you know, she's trying to get FMLA set up for that. And while she's going to work and they're announcing COVID, you know, they're starting to send people home. They're starting to shut places down. Um, But Amber's school is trying to stay open and, and of course, make as much money as they can before they have to shut down. Um, You know, and in this moment, there are, parents who are sending their children to school sick without a doctor's note you know and they're mm. they're coughing and sneezing on amber and rubbing saliva on them and um 
she's West, messing probably. them up and yes and she's you know she's picking them up and um they're kicking her in the stomach you know she's in her second trimester mm. um kicking her in the stomach and um at this point we really didn't know about her platelet levels as well and how serious they were because her platelet levels actually started to um deteriorate in uh december 2019 in december so before covid was announced she was being neglected um and uh you know we're we're actually telling all of these um concerns oh back to her playlist her play was uh, she would actually have it to, to carry children upstairs as well and whenever she would have to switch shifts um her play levels are de- deteriorating so it's very hard for her to breathe and she's having mm. to constantly pick up kids and carry them up and downstairs and she's <sighs> telling them that she's having a hard time breathing and that she doesn't feel good um and you know she's not getting any help from her staff or anything and um you know, nobody was really wanting to pay attention to her. And you would think, you know, someone who's supposed to do their job, such as her OBGYN, um, she's known her OBGYN since before 2014. And that's really where all of the neglect started. Um, you know, she's trying to get FMLA job security done for her job, filling out the FMLA forms. Um, she's telling her OBG, OBGYN all of her, all of her concerns. And and what's going on with her body and what she's feeling. Um, and the baby was actually due May 30th. And Amber's trying to get FMLA set up for April instead of, instead of May um, because of how she's feeling. And the OBGYN tells her, well, there are women who are working for us who are pregnant right now. Why should you have to get off? She's clearly not paying attention to Amber and tailoring to her needs. And on the FMLA forms, the the OBGYN states that Amber wanted to leave for personal reasons. And HR at at Amber's job um, turned that down. So we had to redo the process. But this time we got her mother involved. Um, Her mother actually worked at um, the same hospital uh the same hospital but just a different branch um so we got her mother involved and instead of the OBGYN then tailoring to her needs or um being attentive to Amber she's more or less concerned with who Amber's mother is and what her relationship is to Montefiore the hospital mm-hmm. um and that's when that's when we're being told that um well uh, if Amber wants to leave early um, in order for Amber to get early FMLA, she has to be seen by a, um, a high-risk doctor, right? A high-risk doctor. That's the only reason why we were being appointed to a high-risk doctor, not because her platelet levels are plummeting mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and... Um, you know, we, we were just dealing with so much negligence during, um, you know, before the pandemic. And then once the pandemic hit, um, we had to switch over to telehealth, um, which was even worse because they, I feel like it gave them more of a reason or more of an excuse 
to ignore Amber because mm-hmm. they they were already ignoring her. Um, you know, they're they're telling her, well, you may have a, oh, you you've developed anemia, um, you may have preclampsia. Um, <laughs> That's just like you may Russian. have it. You you may have preeclampsia. Um, so here, take these iron pills um, and go buy your own blood pressure monitor and keep up with your blood pressure. That's mm. what we had to do. Um, so of course we did that every single day, a um, couple times a day. Uh, we would report it every you know every um, every two weeks whenever we would have our appointment. She's yet again expressing her question or, or expressing her concerns, and she's being turned away. She's not being heard. Um, well, okay. Well, if you feel like this next week, um, let us know. Letting them know the next week, same thing. Let them know the next week, same thing. So at um, this point, so just, is she, really is she livid or is she scared at this point? Is she? How was she? Both. Yeah. Both. We both were. We both were. Um, because it was just getting frustrated because this is her first child and you know we had some we had high expectations and um, it, it was just starting out so beautiful for us and um, she was she was very upset um, because she knows that she wasn't being paid attention to mm. and she knows that that this happens in this system with this system so we ended up um, she ended up talking to me about, um, you know, midwifery care, doula care, which was something that I was a bit unfamiliar with. However, um, you know, me being her partner and me wanting to be involved with this pregnancy, um, I took it upon myself to learn as much as I could. And I ended up coming across, um, you know, Birth from the Earth and Ms. Nubia Martin, um, who actually threw this event here today. Mm-hmm. Um, she's actually one of my business partners as well today. And um, we ended up uh, interviewing her and beautiful connection. And, um, you know, right off the gate, I felt like, you know, Amber was getting attentive care and, um, you know, they were really wanting to know, you know, what's going on with Amber and who she is and, you know, be there um, above and beyond. Even after, even after pregnancy, they were, they were wanting to be there. Um, so, you know, we're waiting to get, all of these um, updates back and we're waiting on the my chart for, you know, from the hospital for, with results and they're taking forever to update the results. Um, you know, we finally get the results back and I send it over to our midwife um, on April 3rd, 2020. And she, she sends us a message right back and says, hey, um, Amber needs to be seen immediately. I don't understand why she's not being seen. Um, because, you know, her play levels are, are decreasing at, at a rapid pace. Um, and, you know, our midwife was just really confused to why Amber was not being seen. And, um, you know, due to Amber being too high risk at this point, she couldn't um, have a, a home delivery, a home birth, which was something that we were looking forward to, especially mm. since the, um, the hospitals were, being, were now being filled up with COVID patients. And, yeah, you know, we're trying to avoid COVID. Um, and, um, you know, she, she's just, we weren't able to get the, um, the home care because of, 
her platelets and she's high risk. We weren't able to go to a birthing center either because she was yet again too high risk. Um, so we had to see a, a surgeon. And, um, you know, this time we left that monster fear facility with her OBGYN and we moved on to a different monster fear facility um, where her mother worked. And, you know, um, her mother had resources and connections and, and, you know, those people were telling us that they were gonna take really good care of us, um, which was a lot. Mm. Um, you know, Amber is needed to get, to get updated blood work and she's going to the blood lab and, um, you know, they're losing blood work, they're losing paperwork. Um, you know, we're having to go back and forth. And um, that's when Amber left her, her last tweet, which, you know, blew up. Um, about the incompetence and the negligence that she was dealing with and how she wanted to write it. Tell all she, she, she wrote that on that day, um, just off of how frustrated she was and um, just the amount of stuff that we had to go through to get results that, that we should be getting. Um, because yet again, she's in, in her second trimester trans transitioning into her third. She's supposed to be seen every two weeks going into every week. Um, and she's not receiving that. And um we uh, ended up getting a call the very next day on, on April 18th after they reviewed her uh, her blood work and uh, said that Amber needs to come in for treatment immediately. So, you know, we, we take her in for treatment. Um, we're thinking that she's just gonna be there for a couple of hours. And, uh, you know, we, we get there and Amber's scared and she's nervous and she's looking at me and she's telling me, you know, to, to, to not let them take her up by herself. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't wanna go up by herself. Um, and so I'm doing everything in my power to, to, to be by her side. And, um, you know, I'm talking to the receptionist and I'm telling them, Hey, you guys have to make some sort of exception, um, for, for us to go up together because she does not need to be alone right now. Um, and they're, they're, you know, talking about all these COVID rules and stuff. Um, and I'm just telling them, well, you know, this isn't on me. This is on you guys. You guys have been messing up this whole time. Um, you guys have to make some sort of exception for us. Um, if you guys can't take me, at least take her mother. Her mother works here and has all of, uh, all of the proper PPE. She has access to the hospital. Um, at least let her up because we weren't able to have a, uh, they weren't going to allow us to have a midwife or a doula um, mm -hmm. present for the delivery either. Yeah. Um, you know, so security comes up to me and the security woman tells me, okay, Mr. Baby Daddy, you need to calm down. Mr. Baby Daddy. Um, Mr. Baby Daddy. Um, and says, uh, you know, we need you to go wait in the lobby. Um, she's going to be fine. You, you need to go wait in the lobby. Matter of fact, we don't want you in the lobby. Go wait outside. Go wait in your car. They, they kick me out the, out the lobby and I had to go sit in my car and wait for results. Um, and, you know, Amber and her mother are texting me back and forth, um, because Amber's worried about, about me because of how upset I am. Um, and, um, you know, she, she's calling me crying and telling me that she's had, she needs to stay overnight and how scared she is because she's never had to stay overnight ever in a hospital before. Mm. She's terrified. Um, especially since I can't be there and, and, and she just wants to be home. Like she just wants to sign herself out and, and come home and, you know, trying to console her and, um, and be there for her. And, um, you know, it went from, okay, she needs to be here for a day to a couple, a couple days. 
um, for the rest of the weekend. It, which was scary to us because yet again, they still can't find out. They have her this whole time. They can't find out what's wrong with her, what's going on. Um, yet again, they're just telling her, well, you, even though she passed her COVID test twice, she passed her COVID test twice. Um, they, they come back and tell her, well, you either have COVID or you have preeclampsia. Um, <laughs> I'm not medically trained. But yeah. I mean, it's just, just like, what? <laughs> yeah. So just imagine what we're going through and, 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 you know, Amber's, uh, she's always one to notate. So she's always leaving notations in her phone. Um, her, her mom's constantly loading her with questions to ask the doctors and she's notating that, um, you know, and, and it, it, it seemed like they just weren't trying to pay attention to her at all. Um, and uh, I, I get a call um, on a Sunday, very next day on um 20th and um yet again we still don't know what's going on with amber i still don't know what's wrong um she calls me and says hey they're going to induce my pregnancy today um we're gonna push for the baby today so pack a bag for yourself pack a bag for me pack a bag for the baby and uh come to the hospital and take your covid test because they were finally gonna allow me to be with her after i passed my covid test mm. go take it i passed my covid tests um, I meet up with her like 6.30 that afternoon. Um, they let me up there. They're trying to comfort me. They're trying to give me pillows and um, snacks as if I'm going to be there for several days as I was supposed to be, you know, especially if she's receiving treatment. Hmm. Um, and I was only with Amber in that room for maybe a couple hours. Um, you know, they're coming back and forth to us with, with, you know, what's going on and procedures and the risk factors to these procedures and um, cesarean being the last one, C-section being the last option. Um, and, um, you know, uh, we're really trying to do this as the most natural way as possible. Um, you know, so I'm yet again trying to console Amber and they're, you know, yelling at me, oh, you can't be too close to Amber, you can't be too close to her, you can't hold her, you can't touch her, you can't kiss her, you can't do anything. Um, you have to stay back from her. Um, like, I can't hold her hand when she's scared. Why? Um, and, the, you know, the doctor, she takes off her gloves and she says, well, we don't know who has COVID. Um, we don't even know if we have COVID because the nurses aren't being tested. And that was just a very unsettling feeling for Amber and I, especially hers, scared for her life. Yeah. Um, and now she and, and we're, we've done all this to protect ourselves from COVID. And, and just to hear the news right before she's she's going in that we don't even know if the nurses are being tested. Oh. Um, it's a very scary and unsettling feeling. And, um, you know, they leave and... Um, you know, I'm talking to Amber and I'm telling her, you know, we're, we're going to make it through this. This is our last push. I know this isn't how we dreamed of our pregnancy. Um, you know, and, and we did, and we wanted another baby and we always joked like, okay, well now we know and we'll, we'll be prepared for our next baby. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm consoling her and telling her about, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've known people who have, um, 
taken drugs or drank while they were pregnant or fought while they were pregnant and they still have strong babies and um amber being the most healthiest person i know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking you know we're we're gonna have a strong baby we're you're gonna be fine you're gonna be okay you're gonna get through this um you know at, this is it after this we're going home we're taking our baby home and she's you know trying to smile and she's looking up at me and she's she's telling me yes we're, we're going home all three of us are going home we're going home and she just keeps repeating that um you know the doctors come back in and with this uh this sense of urgency um that they need to get the baby out immediately you know the baby wasn't in distress um he was just still attached to, to the placenta because he was still wanting to grow it wasn't his mm-hmm. his time yet um on top of that they weren't really treating amber at all um and they're pushing this sense of urgency into the arms of irrational decisions Mm. and um you know there's there's gaps that we're starting to notice and uh you know so we're asking we're asking them questions you know are you guys sure you guys have everything prepared are you guys sure you have everything ready um who are the doctors who are going to be in that room with her um because because we knew it wasn't her head surgeon um she never even got to meet her head surgeon it kind of seemed like the head surgeon passed her off to a younger doctor and i don't even know if that doctor was a resident or not um or even a even a a undergrad um because you know during these times as well they're allowing undergrads to work in the hospitals um to to catch up with covid patients Mm. um so there's there's a lot of confusion and, and a lot a lot that that we're worried about um and a lot of questions that are going unanswered and um you know they're assuring us they have everything ready they're telling me um you know, oh, well, uh, every, every doctor that you would want to be in in Amber's room is going to be in the room with her. Um, yet, yet again, not her head surgeon, though. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, they're just reassuring us and the risk factors and the mortality rates. Um, you know, they, they just found out that Amber had developed help syndrome. Um, You know, they just found out that same day that she had Hope Syndrome, um, the day that they decided to induce her labor. Mm-hmm. It was the day that they found that out. Um, you know, if, you're, if your platelets are at a 150, they need to be monitored. If they're at a 125, they need to be monitored and ready for treatment. Um, she wasn't receiving any of that. And mm-hmm. by the time we had gotten to the hospital, her platelet levels were well under 50. They were well under 30. Um, yeah you know and and her at this point her blood is like water and her blood is not clotting um and they're wanting to perform a c-section on her and and telling us that you know the risk factor on this is very low the mortality rate on this is very low um the mortality rate on help syndrome on top of that is very low you know 0.01 percent women per year die from this Mm. Um, and um, you know, I'm talking to Amber and, and consoling her and telling her we're going home. And you know, those are still the last words that are that she's that she's saying is, "Yeah, we're going home. All three of us are going home. All three of us are going home." And she just keeps repeating it as as you know, they're rolling they're rolling her out um, because they're not going to allow me to be in the room with her um, for surgery because they're putting her to sleep. 
Um, so they moved me to, a, to another designated room. Um, you know, they tell me that she's going to be back in this room in like 20 minutes. Um, oh, once you have your baby, once the baby's out, you can come see the baby. And, uh, you know, they're putting me in a shared room during COVID times. And I, I just remember how unsettling that was for me and how, um, you know, I received care in North Carolina for my other children. And, um, you know, I've never had to do a shared room or, mm -hmm. you know, we've always had privacy and we've always, you know, um, you know, they, they didn't offer me a, a place to lay my bags where I had uh, just had to pack all of our bags. Um, so I eventually just lay my stuff down and, and I uh, walk outside of the, that room. And outside that room is this, uh, this bench in front of the, uh, in front of the OR. And, you know, I'm listening to music and, and I'm waiting and I'm just, I'm filled with excitement and I'm ready for the baby and I'm, I'm ready to hold Amber and, um, you know, I'm ready to, to hold her and the baby and, and, and have them come home. Um, and I just had this feeling, this sharp feeling that mm -hmm. something wasn't right. Um, you know, and, and I realized 30 minutes had just went by, Amber's still not back. Um, you know, I'm asking nurses, hey, do you guys know what's going on? I'm not hearing anything. Um, they're not telling me anything. They don't want to tell me anything. You know, time goes by um, and something just told me to stand next to the double door of the OR and I, I just sat there and um, I seen doctors rushing a baby out covered in blood and, and a bucket and I'm, I'm thinking, well, this, this could be my son. Mm -hmm. um, but yet again, I don't know because I don't know which room Amber's in. Um, you know, maybe like 10 seconds after they ran my son out of the room, they're on the intercom um, stating that uh, they need all medical emergency personnel to uh, the OR that Amber, that Amber was in. Um, I didn't realize it was Amber until they said that she was a non-COVID patient three times. Um, they had to say that she was a non-COVID patient three times um, before people really started to um, attending to her aid. Wow. And, um, you know, and I'm just having flashbacks of, of everything that, uh, you know, that occurred during this pregnancy um, because, you know, my job gave me the leniency to be with Amber at every prenatal appointment, um, at all of her appointments up until COVID hit. And, you know, I had to wait in the car because they didn't want guests to come in. Um, and, you know, I'm just thinking back to, to all of that stuff and um, thinking back to how they were just telling us how they had everything ready in the room and prepared. Um, and as I'm thinking that, and I see, uh, you know, doctors rushing from another side of the hospital um, running with with sacks of blood in their hand to, um, to 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 the to the OR after they had just assured us that they had everything ready for her, um, and I'm just getting this really bad feeling, um, and yet again, I'm asking questions. Nobody's telling me anything, and uh, this nurse comes up to me, this black head nurse, and she says, uh, 
hey, who do you who do you have that can be here for you? Uh, which is already a bad sign. Mm. And um, and I'm telling them, well, you know, Renita Amber's mother is here. She actually ended up working a late shift to stay close to Amber. Um, you know, since she couldn't, you know, come up with Amber, she at least made an effort to to work a later shift to to stay close. Um, I called Renita upstairs and I wish I could give Renita information then and there, but they're not telling me anything. Mm. Um, and I'm telling Renita what I just experienced and, you know, and, and what they just said over the intercom and the rushing blood. Um, you know, time still goes by and Renita and I are both asking what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on. Nobody's still telling us anything. And um, so I, I decided to change up my, my questions. So the head nurse comes back around. I ask her, hey, I know that Amber's platelet levels are dangerously low and that her blood is like water. Mm. I seen you guys pull my son out. Did you at least sew her back up? The, surgeon, um, the head nurse looks at me and she says no. They didn't sew her back up. And I'm asking why, knowing her platelets are like this, knowing that she can bleed out. Mm. Why isn't she being sewed back up? Well, they, they, they thought the, the bleeding was coming from her um, uterus. So they performed a hysterectomy. So they, they cut her open again. The bleeding wasn't coming from her uterus. So they took out her, uh, they performed a hysterectomy for no reason oh. at all. I'm asking, well, did you guys, and, and we're already upset. I'm already super upset because Amber and I were just talking about how we wanted another child in a year or two and, um, you know, how bad she wants a daughter. She wanted a son and a daughter. Um, and I kept just thinking to myself, wow, Amber's going to be pissed when she wakes up. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, I'm asking them, well, did you guys sew her up after that? She says, uh, she looks at me like she, like she has tears in her eyes and she's um, it's like, no, they cut her open again. And I'm asking what for? And uh, they told, she told me that they cut her chest open to manually massage her heart because her heart stopped. Um, she ended up coding, well, she didn't tell me this, but she ended up coding as soon as they cut her open. Mm. She coded immediately as soon as they cut her open. And, um, you know, she's asking me, well, do you have any more family members that could be here? Um, they're still trying to give me the possibility that, she, that she's gonna make it through this. You know, of course, that's what they're trained to do. Um, but I'm, of course, I'm not buying it because I, I've been there throughout this whole thing and I've seen the treatment that she had been receiving. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Renita starts calling Amber's side, of the, Amber's side of the family. They start calling my side of the family. Um, you know, they're setting up this family room now during the midst of COVID, um, which is a really bad sign. Yeah. Um, because to me, that's just like, okay, they're trying to get us all together so they can break the news. Um, 
and uh, you know they're trying to distract me and get me away from the do- from the door of the OR. You know, they're telling me, "Oh, do you you want to go see your son? Do you want to go see your son?" And at that at that time, I didn't want to see him. Yeah. Um, because I'm uh, it's just, I'm hurting because I'm so worried for his mother. I'm so yeah. worried about Amber. Like that's the only thing that's on my mind. And um, you know, I eventually get away and I, I'm on my way to the family room to say hi to the family. And as I'm walking past the um, as I'm walking past the front desk, I'm hearing nurses go back and forth. Oh, why hasn't this arrived from the blood bank yet? Where is this blood at? Why isn't why isn't it in this room? They clearly weren't ready at all. Mm. And they were trying to treat Amber last minute. Mm. Um, you know, why why are you trying to pump blood when she's bleeding out? You know, you guys have you guys should have, have been trying to pump blood and um, doing blood transfusions and um, you know, making another option for Amber, and they weren't doing that at all. Um, and after speaking to numerous doctors and and educating myself on all of this, um, I learned that she was dead when she walked in there. Mm. That it was it was already too late. Um, because they had just caught on to it way too late. Um, and, um, you know, uh, there are doctors just starting to leave her room and um, I'm already upset because I noticed that my son has a, a cut on his shoulder, maybe two and a half centimeters away from his neck. And I'm very ups- I'm very upset about that because they could have killed him too. Yeah, getting him out. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm already very upset and angry, um, you know. And I, and I'm I'm heading back up and I'm waiting around the room and um, you know I see doctors leaving Amber's room, um, you know, black doctors with with and nurses with such a they have such a disgust in their faces. Mm. Um, and you know they're they're waiting in the hallway and they're staring at me from across the hallway, um, trying to draw themselves closer um, because they know that Renita works there and they're they're trying to draw themselves closer to, you know they're already drawing themselves closer to Renita but they're trying to draw themselves closer to me because I'm really going through it, um, and uh, you know there are white doctors who are leaving uh, Amber's room and. Um, they're patting me on my shoulder and oh you're gonna be fine you're gonna be okay everything's gonna be okay you're gonna be fine um you know while they while they get to you know go home and spend time with their families yeah um and I don't know why but when when they were saying that I was I was I felt like I was being given false hope because I'm already thinking the worst yeah. Um, and then when they're telling me, oh, you're going to be okay, you're going to be fine. I'm thinking, okay, great. Amber's okay. Amber's, Amber's, we're coming, we're going home. Um, but I had already had that feeling that Amber was mm. gone. And um, 
you know, there are, are, are the nurses, the black nurses are still come, trying to come closer to me. And they look like they have something to tell me, but they don't want to say it or they can't say it. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we ended up uh, going to the family room and um, Amber's head surgeon finally arrives. The one that she never even got to meet finally arrives. Um, he sees that uh, there's a couple of us in the room, a pretty decent amount of us in the room. So he turns around and he runs and grabs the colleague to come back and break the news with him. Um, and the first thing that he says to us is, uh, I'm sorry for your loss. And um, he's getting ready to roll Amber's body in to us. And um, I'm already losing it at this point. And uh, I just remember hearing in afar the head surgeon asking Amber's mother for consent to her organs. And while Amber was alive, Amber told them, we both told them, we're not organ donors. She does not want to donate organs. Um, so it really, it really upset me to hear the head surgeon trying to ask the mother for consent after Amber had already said no. So she's already um, passed and, away and she's still being ignored. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she is. And, and, and I just know that they just wanted them because of how healthy Amber truly was. Mm. Um, and I just remember, you know, shouting at the surgeon and, and just how, uh, how upsetting that was. Um, they they declared her her death um 12 36 um past midnight um on uh april 21st but i really say that she died on the 20th um we we hung out around that hospital till about 4 30 in the morning and, um you know i'm having to try to figure this stuff out because you know her this is her mother's only child um, you know, and, and her mother just came to, to stay with us for a couple of weeks to help out with Amber um, around the house while I'm, you know, out taking, taking care of our responsibilities. And, um, you know, Renita, Amber's mother is heading back home with me and, and she's just, we're both so stressed and we're worried about, you know, funeral expenses and all this other stuff after we just saved up and, and we're planning for Elias yeah. um, and uh, you know I ended up having to do crowd, crowdsourcing and I shared a bit of Amber's story and what happened to her um, and I advocated for her the very next day mm-hmm. and um, our GoFundMe actually went viral um, her story started to go viral and um, and I'm very grateful that we did receive help from the community um, because during COVID times, you know, these funeral homes aren't accepting new patients um, for the next three or four months, you know. um, And on top of that, the hospital was trying to, they were already trying to throw Amber on the back of an ice truck and they were trying to take her to Heart Island. And what Heart Island is, it's an island 
where um, where they dump all of the COVID patients oh. in a hole. So they wanted to dump her in a hole full of COVID patients. Um, you know, and there were a bunch of other stuff on her death certificate that didn't sit well with us at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't get too detailed with that. Um, but they basically did. They basically did try to make Amber look like a uh, another black girl with no family. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing who her mother was, they didn't add her mother to the to the death certificate, even though she worked in that same hospital. Um, they didn't. They didn't add me, even though they knew I was the father. Um, and they've been, you know, giving us this huge runaround. Um, and uh, you know, Amber never even Amber's body never even got examined by uh, or signed off by a medical examiner. Um, she got an autopsy performed by the head surgeon that she never even got to meet, uh, oh. which is a huge conflict, a yeah. huge conflict. And. Um, you know, I, I'm glad that we were able to get Amber the proper burial. Um, I actually ended up receiving some help from someone who came across our story. Um, and he ended up helping. They ended up creating a new uh, burial spot just for Amber. Um, and I'm just glad that we did receive that help because if we didn't, she she would have got covered up. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, that's the, the type of woman and, and how, hard, how hard she worked, she truly wouldn't have deserved anything like that um, at all. And it just kept, it kept, it kept feeling like they were still pushing Amber away, even after death. They just were still pushing her away and still pushing her family away. Um, which is why I'm waking up every day and I'm fighting so hard mm. um, because everything that, that, that happened to Amber was very unjust. And, um, you know, she was being neglected since before COVID. There's no excuse that you can make um, mm. because there, anything that you can say is, is going to be an excuse. Um, she was clearly being neglected by multiple people. There were multiple doctors signing off on her paperwork as her health is deteriorating and we're not being made aware of any of this. Um, we have to hear this through a midwife that we unfortunately didn't get to hire because it was too late. Yeah, um, yeah and that's it. it's just uh, it's just crazy to believe that um, that they would really do this to, to Amber and um, that they've been doing this to women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and after advocating and gaining, you know, um, attention from across the world. I'm speaking to different doctors in different countries and different states um, who are telling me all of these other options that we could have been given. Um, I was speaking to a doctor, even though Elias was a month and 10 days premature, there still was the option to, um, to have him six weeks prior to that. Um, you know, he would have had to been in NICU longer um, but Amber and him both would be alive, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we weren't presented any options like that because we were told, yet again, they didn't know what she had until the day that she that they induced her labor. When and it was already too late by then. Mm-hmm.
but, but we've, um, you know, I've actually been doing a, a lot in her honor. I'll say you have. <laughs> Definitely, every single day. Yeah. Um, been doing a lot, a lot in her honor. Um, the, the midwife that, uh, that broke the news to us, her and I partnered up, um, created the Amber Rose Isaac Access to Home Birth Scholarship Program. Um, and what this program does is it offsets the cost of insurance premiums. So whatever insurance does not cover, um, the Amber Rose Isaac uh, Access to Home Birth Scholarship Program will cover that. We've actually been able to help over 26 families. Um, and a lot of those families did have government assisted insurance, um, which, which, you know, which is something that at Saver is something that we've been trying to do, make midwifery and doula services more accessible and more mm. affordable to, um, to underprivileged families. Um, because even with uh, exceptional insurance, Amber actually had insurance through the hospital she died in. Um, for a midwife, we were still gonna have to pay about four grand out of pocket because the insurance, the providers didn't wanna yeah. cover a home birth. Um, you know, so so this program is definitely saving lives right now, and it's it's helping those um, those underprivileged mothers who who are feeling um, turned away mm. um, just because of just because of the insurance that they have, um, and also um, I'm also one of the partnering efforts to bring the first ever midwifery led birthing center to the Bronx as well. Um, you know, we've been speaking with. Uh, I've, spoken to numerous politicians and legislators, city council members, mayors, um, and, you know, trying to create bills and implement them, um, which is another thing that I learned, you know, stepping into this field, you know, you, you hire these politicians, you pay for their chair with your tax money. Um, and, you know, you come and ask them, hey, what are you guys doing about this? And mm they're not doing anything about it and um you know you tell them your, your concerns and they're like oh well have you created a bill for this yet so it's like, we have oh, to, we, been a bit we, busy grieving we, but anyway <laughs> right so it's like we have to do this ourselves mm. um so right now we are working on the um the ambrose um the ambrose isaac act i don't want to get too much into detail about that just yet because we're still working the tweaks out um but we did just um with uh, we did just we're right now we're trying to pass the New York Health Act, um, and we've been in touch with um, a senator here that we've been working very closely with, um, the senator and the um, the chairman of the health committee, um, Richard Gottfried, um, have agreed to um, to implement our our wording of the bill verbatim. Um, so they're, they're granting all of our wishes and they're using all of our words for this bill for the New York Health Act, um, which is also another beautiful thing because it's just a step forward that we're trying to, that we're trying to do, um, especially when we're trying to get support from these politicians. Um, you know, there are people like, you know, Governor Andrew Cuomo who don't want to see things like this happen. Yeah. Um, who has been trying to, to, to make it harder for us to have a birthing center. Um, he actually tried to create a, um, an executive order on the same day that Amber passed away, um, trying to protect doctors and grant them immunity 
um, for maternal deaths, even if they, even if it wasn't through COVID, um, because originally the bill was if they have COVID, you know, your family can't sue if anything happens. Um, they were trying to do that same thing, even if it wasn't COVID. And Cuomo signed that executive bill for the same day that Amber passed away. Um, mm. And you know, the the week the week after um, Amber passed, and I, I actually. Um, Montefiore was avoiding questions because now we're starting to gain all of this national attention. Um, you know, Montefiore is avoiding questions. And I'm someone who likes to handle their problems head on. So um, I took the whole Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, maternal rights movement to their front door and held a press conference in front of their hospital. Um, And uh, about a week later, because you know that that gained a lot of attraction too. A week later, Andrew Cuomo um, mentioned us without without mentioning our names because we're already all over the news at this point. Um, and he talks about how he heard about the um, you know the the, the maternal mortality um, and how his uh, maternal task force was all over it. Yeah, yeah, it's very. Um hyper-masculine militant and like this is birth it's not war like which says a lot but it's a lot but the thing is i've i've orchestrated um everything to exactly how i want it to be um to where i have people that have volunteered or volunteer to um work on sections that i need them on or projects that i need them on um so i have i have different people for all types of different projects um, so, you know, with this group of people that I've been working with called the um, Movement to Birth Liberation, um, we've been uh, actually in touch with, you know, the health committee and I've actually shared testimony um, against, against them as well. Um, and, you know, Cuomo's maternal task force was there as well. Um, and they're telling me, oh, Bruce, you don't need to be doing that. You're you should be grieving. You don't need to be doing that. That's my job. I should be doing that. And I'm just like, no, obviously I have to do it because you guys aren't doing it. Mm. Um, you know, because we have to take matters into our own hands because we are the real maternal task force. We're the people who really care about our children, our women and our communities. Um, and, you know, even the judge was asking them, hey, um, would, for, for the hospitals, um, and they were like the, the main um, C, CEO, CFOs of, of the main hospitals here in New York City. Um, and they're asking, the judge is asking them, hey, would you guys take a $50,000 budget cut to hire a hospital doula? You guys have more than enough. Um, oh, well, we, we wrote this in, in our bill and um, we, don't know, we don't know yet if it's gonna be implemented yet, but we did, but we did bring it up. And the judge caught her in a lie. The judge was like, well, I looked at it and no, it's not in the bill. No, you guys did not. And you guys did not include it for next year's budget. So you're not trying to change the systemic mm. issue. Um, and, you know, they're all trying to, to use me because I'm already angry and I'm already, I've already said my piece. Um, I've already shared statistics with them that are, that are accurate. Um, and they're just talking about how much they want to be there for me and how much they want to help me. And I'm just like, you guys haven't helped me since, <laughs> since, this, blew, since this blew over. You guys didn't even offer to pay a dollar for the funeral costs. Mm. That's something that I had to stress over. 
um, which is also something that I'm working on as well um, to provide funding for families um, who don't have insurance, who are, who are going through this and um, so that they're not having to pay like $30,000, $40,000 out of pocket for, uh, for an unexpected debt. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's something that I'm trying to, to provide for families right now as well. Um, because that's, that's hard, especially, especially in a pandemic. Mm. You know, no, nobody wants to, to blow their savings in a pandemic. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm just realizing all of these, these errors and these flaws and these things that aren't being set up for families in this position um, and how we're just left and thrown in, in, in the wood, in the woods to the wolves. It's, you know, we're, we're, we're expected to go back to normal life after this when in fact, we're, our, our lives right now are on a standstill um, as we're combating and as we're trying to get justice. Um, you know, everybody else is able to move forward with their lives and we're not because in this point of our lives, we're still trying to get this stuff figured out and we're still trying to get justice for our loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're just trying to make it twice as hard, um, which is showing me that they don't care, which is showing me that we're not being cared about. Um, you know, and, and which is another reason to why I joined the efforts to bringing uh, a birthing center to the Bronx um, and, and going over all of these statistics I'm, I'm learning, you know, that the Bronx has the highest C-section rate. Over 60% of these women don't need the C-section, yeah. um, but are, are still getting cut open anyways. And, you know, I've made the clear indication that, you know, how they're putting profit over people, especially to the, um, to the hospitals that are being so substantially defunded, um, which happen to be the hospitals in our communities, and a way for them to make up for those budget cuts is to perform the C-sections on these mm. women. Um, we're talking more than half of these women don't need C-sections. Yeah. Um, but you know they're securing and they're securing an extra eight thousand dollars for a surgery for the C-section versus an uh, versus a natural birth because now um, this high risk issue becomes a uh, uh, you know. A, it, it turns into surgery so you know you have to pay extra for surgery um and you know i was just making all of the, i've been making all of these clear indications to people and um and i feel like that's that's really a way for me to help close this gap yeah um and give the the women in our communities the attentive care that they deserve um you know, so, uh, and, and that we're not putting people over um, profit and our profit over people, I'm sorry. And, um, you know, I feel like this is another way that's going to also hurt their pockets as well, because it's like, okay, you guys weren't doing your job. You guys weren't, you guys weren't treating our people right for a very long time. Um, now we have the birthing professionals who, who can show them, who can tailor to um, an individual's needs, um, because everyone's different. Everyone's need, everyone needs different treatment. Um, you know, they treat it as if everyone's the same and um, that, that everybody's just going to be okay and that everybody should be treated one way, um, which is, which is a, a huge problem. It's, it's very pro- um, problematic. Mm, I mean, it's just, you're so Sorry, right. I just, I become... ramble. I'm, 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 I'm so passionate about this. So I, I start rambling. This is this is good though. This is what we need because I think you know you're so right. It is a business, and 
I think so many people go into this system that is the system of a hospital, not even realising that there's other options because we are so conditioned to believe the hospital is the safest place for you to be. And nobody's denying that, okay, in theory, in an emergency with properly trained people and without all the racism and, like, you know, that sort of (laughs) hold-up version of the world that we would like to see. But we know it's just not true. Realistically, people would be safer going back to, like we're talking about, it's like full freaking circle talking about the dark ages. It's like, well, women were safer before hospitals got involved and made this whole thing a business. Yes. Potentially. Like, going on. might be an unpopular opinion, but I, I think that's really where we're at with like, okay, who is doing the harm? Get the families away from the harm. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. That's the key. And how have you gone parenting with all of this and grief and like getting a medical degree and becoming a politician and <laughs> financial advisor and all these other hats at the same time? Um, uh, well, I've fully, I stepped away from Wall Street and, uh, you know, I've fully been dedicating my time to, you know, my son and um, even Amber's mother is living with me now, um, you know, and building that bond with her and, and making sure that she has that bond with Elias. Because um, you know that makes that makes her happy, especially knowing that Amber was her only daughter. Um, you know that 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 brings her joy. Um, it's been tough. It's yeah. been very tough, especially sometimes when you feel like you don't have the support that you need from uh, from friends or you know family members, but they you know they don't get it and they're moving on with their lives. Um, so I tend to surround myself with more, you know, spiritual in tune people and, um, you know, birth workers and, you know, uh, people who are also facing the same trauma as me as well, because they come to me for guidance. Um, you know, so I gravitate towards those people because they, they feel what I'm feeling. Um, and then when I talk, they listen mm. and vice versa. Um you know, and, and also it's been, uh, I've also been trying to take a, a different approach to things as well, because even after Amber passing, um, you know, without being properly evaluated, they're already throwing drugs and antidepressants in our face, such as Xanax and other strong drugs. Um, and, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, is this really what they're doing to people in this position? Um, and, you know, I'm thinking about how this has been an ongoing perpetual cycle that has been going on for generations, um, how they've been, you know, feeding, um, you know, people in my community these drugs and, you know, they've grown addiction and now they're incompetent enough to raise their, uh, they're too incompetent to raise their children. Um, you know, and I'm thinking, how am I going to raise Elias from doped up on drugs? Um, there's got to be more of a, a holistic approach to this. Um, so, which is something that I've been studying and, and talking to people about, about, um, you know, uh, healing um, the community through, uh, um, you know, holistic rehabilitation, um, you know, trying it through that approach, uh, which is something that we do here as well. 
um, you know, for prenatal care, all the holistic care, um, yoga, and all that good stuff that, that you know, um, that you would need. And, um, you know, and that really made me want to not only just do stuff for mothers, um, but for the youth in our communities, um, because that's something that Amber was dedicating her life to. Um, you know, she was trying to introduce art therapy to the youth as a way of self-expression. Um, you know, which is another program. I have several programs that I've been trying to work on um, with that, you know, with art therapy, with, um, with sports. You know, we have some, some talented kids in our communities um, who just don't have the people to, to really push them and guide them. Um, so I, I want to I be able to set that up for them. Um, I, I really feel like... Uh, what's been helping me cope is just moving and, and mm. making sure that I'm moving every day and that I'm fighting every single day. Um, because the moment that I'm settled down and I feel like I'm not fighting, I start to feel really bad. Yeah. Um, because I, I, you know, I, I can, I just keep telling myself, this isn't over. Um, you know, you're relaxing while somebody's in the hospital scared for their life. Um, you know, and that stuff doesn't sit well with me. And, um, you know, I can just hear Amber in my head. This isn't over. We're not done. We're not done. We're mm. not done. Uh, you know, so it's uh, 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 the only thing that I wish is I wish that I didn't have to do all of this because um, only because I wish I could spend even more time with Elias. You know, I feel like when I when I take my days advocating because they take up a lot of my time and a lot of my days and there's times where I have to travel um and I feel like that's time away from him um but of course you know I love the work that I'm doing I believe in the work that I'm doing I believe the work that you know my team is putting in um and we've made so many changes and 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 left such a strong impression in nine months, you know, it'll mm -hmm. be it'll be nine months on the twenty first. Um, we came a very long way. We're 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 changing the direction of birthing equity. We're we're you know changing legislation. Um, you know, help is help is on is on is on its way, and we're 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 a big part of that. Um, you know, and there I've had women who have um, been fighting this stuff for over twenty five years who are thanking me because you know, um, they feel like it really took a man to step up or it takes men to step up for their women um, and, and advocate for this because it can't, it can't be just the birth workers advocating for this. No, because nobody's listening. Be, nobody's listening. Nobody's, nobody's listening. It has to be all of us, um, which is what I've been, you know, putting together. I've been putting together fathers so fathers know that we're strong and that, and that we can do this together and um, and that we can be in support of our women. Um, and we're, you know, we're trying to just change the stigma on a lot of things and, and, and what things are made to be believed in. Um, you know, and it's just a beautiful thing to see that, you know, fathers are, are, are connecting more with their partners and paying attention more to their partners. Um, you know, there are, are, are women who want to become doulas now um, I've spoken to nurses who quit their nursing job to to become a doula. Now they wanna they wanna 
you know, practice on uh, or work on being a doula. Um, you know, because it's, it's just, it's scary to think that, that, that women don't want to go to the hospital to give birth, that they would rather give birth in their bathroom, mm. um, you know, and, and just how unsafe that is. And, um, you know, that's, that's why we're always trying to, to one up and, and be there for them. Um, so another project that we're, the, the most current project that we're working on uh, right now is um, we're on the um, verge of purchasing an RV as well. Um, and on that RV, you can get your prenatal care done there. We're gonna have midwives and doulas on, on the bus, um, you know, who can, who can do the work on the bus. If they can't come, like they'll, they'll pull up to your home um, or, you know, you can get, you can receive care on the bus in a comfortable setting. Um, up until legislation is passed, we can, you know, they'll allow us and grant us our birthing center. Um, so that's our substitute in the meantime, so we can help families right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm, I'm just, I feel like the longer I wait, you know, more families are in danger um, and, and are more in danger to lose, um, you know, their, sp- their spouse or their child. Um, and I know my strength and I know that, you know, last year, if this happened last year, I wouldn't have been able to deal with this. Mm. Um, but, you know, Amber conditioned me to such a, to be such a strong person um, that I almost feel as if I've been conditioned for this reason. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been, we've been able to help our families and that's a blessing in itself. Um, and that's, that's Amber, you know, I feel like that's Amber working and, um, you know, and I feel like that's the best way that I can honor her, you know, is by giving her all of these things and making sure that she, she marks her place here in this world. Mm. Um, cause she was, you know, truly an amazing person and she deserves nothing less. And so your gorgeous little boy, he watches this one day, listens to it one day, pieces all these things together. What would you want him to know? His mother was a superhero, and we need to continue her work. She she left a legacy for us, and, um, you know, that's something that we got to carry and we got to represent for his mother, Um, you know, because his mother was an amazing person that wanted to help the community. you know, one way or another, Amber was going to change the world some way, somehow. And it's just very unfortunate that it has to be this way. Mm. Well, I guess for me, I want you to know that you're not forgotten and that the new stories come and go and the sound bites that come and go, but you're not forgotten. Thank you. And we might be oceans and oceans away. But there are people who care. Thank you. They're not forgotten. And I look forward to seeing <laughs> those RVs driving around, with roses painted all over them. And I think we should get you a superhero cape too. <laughs> <laughs> They're on its way. They're on its way. Yeah. Thank you for being able to keep showing up. 
it's not taken for granted the, the strength that you have but I think this is a good example for people to you know yes you sit and you sit in your pity party but you got to get off your bum and do something grief can be like actionable as you've shown you know so definitely um strength and 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 vulnerability Mm. a lot of strength and vulnerability Mm. how can people help if they're sitting here right now going okay what what can i do like i always say to people like you know money money is the best thing you can do (laughs) that helps to move projects Um, forward I mean that's that's always that's always good. Um, we do have a GoFundMe uh, that we actually just started. Um, we had a previous GoFundMe um, attached to an organization that that was for the birthing center, but we actually created one simply for Amber's legacy, um, which is uh, of course on GoFundMe, and it's um, you, it's also in our link on Instagram on the Save a Rose foundation page um or myself at bismack the third um and our link tree in our bio and um once you click on the link tree it'll come up with different options you can see how you can donate to us future events how you can participate in the events how you can um uh how you can work for save rose um volunteer work um you know where we're constantly updating the uh the instagram page and the facebook page um the website is almost finished as well so we can just start directing people to our website but for now we're just sending everybody to, to the save rose link tree and the save rose uh, gofundme awesome thank you for your time i really really am so humbled because i would totally understand if you just went you know what like i've talked about this enough like yeah so. I know that for you, this is, um, I mean, you know, it's yet again, having to talk about it again, but I, I so appreciate it. Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I feel like this story is very important um, and it, it needs to get out. I'll share it as many times as I need to. I literally get up every day and have to share it. Um, um, you know, I, I did a, a, a interview with um, a Canadian radio station right before I got on with you and then, um, I have a few more things to do in the couple of days in the in the days and then um we are doing a calling to all artists as well um because artist amber is an artist um i'm an artist myself and like i said she was doing it for self-expression and um wanted to do it for for therapy for children um so right now we are having a uh, her birthday is actually february 23rd her birthday is coming up so we um have asked artists to um paint you know, or paint or make any type of art piece um, reflecting either Amber or the maternal health crisis um, to, to raise awareness around this as well. Um, we do have events planned out for the month, like uh, tomorrow, or last week I did the Save Rose um, Surviving Fathers with the fathers um, who their stories may have lines and um, I've been in great, great connection with all of them and, and, and been in support of all of them. Um, and tomorrow I'm actually going to do, um, Save Roses Suffering, uh, The Suffering Roses, which features, um, you know, mothers who have gone through this or the mothers of the mothers, um, are going to be on there as well. So Amber's mother is actually going to be speaking out for the first time tomorrow. Um, 
on, on, on the situation. And then the following week after that, uh, um, our next event is uh, I'm going to be interviewing um, birth workers and um, reproductive justice activists and um, what we can do to push legislation and these bills forward. Um, so we can, you know, change, change everything that's going on and, and you know, um, dismantle this, this, this system and, um, and rebuild and, and hopefully for the better and, and actually help people. Mm. I think, yeah, the trickiness with some of this is that, like, I mean, I can tell you there's more than 1,500 people in my birth trauma training course. Do you want to guess how many white male OBs I have? How many? How many? Zero. 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 Wow. That I know of, unless they would like to come forward and out themselves, but. Wow. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. It's often the midwives and the doulas and the people like who mm -hmm. are there on the ground and maybe have family members affected. It's 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 yes. not white dudes. Um, it's just not. So no. there's a lot well, to be done. Thank you so much for your <laughs> thank you for your work and, and, and your contribution. As it's well. teeny tiny, but I think this is it. It's it's very easy, I think, sometimes for people to go, oh, it's too hard, it's too sad. And then that's where the conversation yeah. stops. It's like, there's always something we can do. There's always something. Exactly, exactly. And we just gotta keep pushing forward. The, even the smallest contribution makes it a big outcome. Mm. So everything's gonna snowball and we're gonna get exactly what we want and exactly what we deserve. We just gotta keep pushing. Mm. Strength to you. Thank you got a lot, so but wow. Like, I'll send you some more. <laughs> <laughs> It's accepted as needed every day. Yeah. All right, mate. Thank you so much. So much. Thank you. You Dr. take Bull. care. You take care.